Happy Christmas week. Wait, is it Christmas? Yeah, it is Christmas week-ish. Um, I'm stoked about uh, what God has in store for this week. I, I know that we saw First Impressions passing these out on the way in. These are invitations. Take them. Uh, take them all today. Um, and just look for people to invite, people to connect with that, that um, are needing a place to celebrate Christmas. So Friday, 6.30, uh, we have just an hour-long service. And we're having the kids in. In fact, we're going to have gifts for every single kid. Uh, something for them to fidget with, but also something that they can interact with with the service. Uh, why do we do that? Number one, we want to bless our kids. Number two, because we want the adults to have the candles. Let me repeat. We want the adults to have the candles. Um, and you may say, oh, don't I trust kids? I know me. I burnt down part of my friend's forest, my uncle's bedroom, my, uh, the rug in the bathroom, and a big spot in my bedroom. So I just don't trust me or anybody of the age for which I burnt all of those things. But that's for another day. So 6.30, this coming Friday, I, I can't wait. I am so, so excited. Um, when I think about Christmas, I, you think about gifts, but I'll be honest, and this may depress parents, um, I really don't remember many gifts I got on Christmas. I, I really don't. With the exception of the gifts that weren't supposed to go to me. Now, my mom, she had a strategy every year because she knew us well enough that we're going to go pick up a gift, we're going to shake the gift, and we can tell her what the gift was. It's the spirit of discernment that's in Scripture, and I felt like I had that for all gifts. And so what my mom would do strategically is, because there was just me and Rachel in the house for a season, um, she would wrap all of my gifts in one type of wrapping paper and, and then all of Rachel's in another type, and she wouldn't tell us whose was wrapped in which color. So... Presents were never labeled. You didn't know who they belonged to. They were all, she did them color-coded so that you could never anticipate whose gift belonged to who. But in the middle of all of that, I would always, every year, get one of Rachel's gifts. And now I am the type of kid that I, if my mom's going to give me something, I'm going to be very grateful, very thankful, and I'm going to sweat thinking, how am I going to deal with this? Like the one year I opened up the green and pink sequined vests. For which I open up, I'm like, Mom, thank you so much for, for spending on this. I, I appreciate that. She rips it out of my hand. What did you open that up for? I'm like, it was the color gift I was supposed to open up. She goes, that's for your sister. The following year was the pink Reeboks. Mom, this is awesome. I needed new shoes. She's like, why did you open that up? She blamed me for it. And that just became the thing every year was which gift was Dave going to open up that was going to be purely for his sister, but he's going to try to faint gratefulness and gratitude um, in the middle of it because I didn't want Mom to feel bad. Nor, I mean... It's kind of the moment from the movie, the great gospel movie, A Christmas Story, when Ralphie opens up the bunny outfit. You know, Ralphie goes into the mode of, by the way, as much as I love the movie, it is the whiniest kid movie in history. But Ralphie just immediately doesn't like what he's given. I didn't want to be Ralphie. But uh, through the years, gifts have changed from, uh, from my parents to us. And I remember, man, it was about maybe 15 years ago, my parents just stopped buying gifts for us at Christmas and started buying us gift cards, which I think is the greatest gift that you can ever give. In fact, an Amazon gift card is the gift of everything. You could buy fruit, you could buy meats, which I don't think I've ever bought meat on Amazon, but you could buy books, you could buy whatever. I think that's the greatest gift imaginable is the gift of Amazon. But, but she started buying us like Visa gift cards and just she's like, I'm done shopping for you guys. You just you go, go get what you want. And now back when she started buying those gift cards, 
there was like a little step that you needed to do before you used the gift card because I don't know, we don't need to show hands on this one. I don't know if you've ever gone to scan a card and you've got a lineup of people behind you in the checkout counter and you go to scan something and it's declined. That is humiliating. It is embarrassing. Everyone's looking at you and then you see the from looks of compassion toward looks of annoyance. And in my brain, because when you open it up, you would see this little sticker on there that says, call this number to activate it. But if you didn't activate it, then you swipe it, and all of a sudden you see the sticker. You're like, hey, l- let me call real quick. Let me just say, don't ever be that person in line. Because what's going to happen, you won't get the love of Jesus from the people behind you. You're going to get massive loads of judgment. And I've been, I've been that guy. And so you would get it, you would call it, you would activate it, because the reality is, is that card, on that card, and in that account, rest the amount that has been designated for you. Something has been deposited there, given there, but that which is deposited can't be accessed unless it's actually activated. I want you to understand something, that when you gave your heart to Jesus, the Scripture says that the Holy Spirit has been deposited in you. The Spirit of God has been put inside of you as a deposit. But one thing that I get frustrated is, is when we as believers, is that, is that we get the Holy Spirit in our lives, but we don't activate Him. We don't get Him moving in our lives. We want God just to do things for us instead of activating what the Spirit of God has already done and wants to do out of our lives. I mean, that's, that's American Christianity right there. God, I want you to do this for me. I want freedom. I want deliverance. But I, want to do, I don't want to do the things for which freedom and deliverance will be kind of brought in my life. I want God to gift me, but I don't want the obedience to flow into me to see that gift come to fruition. God has deposited. It's time for us to activate that. And that's what Paul is talking about here. We are in week number nine of our series through Colossians. We're going to finish up on Christmas Sunday morning, online only. But Paul is talking about getting that which is inside of you activated. And the way that he does it, he gives four what I would call imperatives or four commands in Scripture. Let's, let's just read together. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 15, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts, and whatever you do, In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Jesus, we thank you for this time. Anoint our our minds and our hearts that we would walk away from this place differently than the way that we walked in. Because our heart is not just to simply receive something from you today, but we want to activate it. We want to put this into action. You are giving us an invitation to activate what you have deposited, what you are working and what you are doing. We don't want to let everything about our relationship with you exist just on a Sunday morning. We want it active. We want it pouring out of our life. So guide us, help us, lead us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And bless the Lions and bless Argentina, who is playing right now. Some of you have it on your phones. God bless you for being here still. So today we're going to give you these four imperatives 
out of the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. It's like the simplest little breakdown where Paul, Paul has worked through a number of topics that we've worked through over the previous eight weeks. And, and now he's like, it's time to get this thing active. And it gives you four simple imperatives. So if you've got your scripture journals, you're a note taker, this is a great morning to take notes. First of all, he says this in verse number 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So number one, allow the peace of Christ to rule, or in the, in the Greek it would more be specifically guide your hearts. And the word heart there is plural, so he's talking to the church. It's like, allow the peace of Christ to guide your hearts. Now that word let that we have in the English language, in the Greek it is actually the same as the English meaning. And so I'm going to give you Webster's definition for the word let. The word let means in Webster's, and we're going to talk about this a little bit on, on uh, Christmas candlelight. The word let means to, to permit to enter. Paul says, let the peace of Christ guide your hearts. So many of us think that, that Christ will kind of just give us peace He'll kind of put it on us and we're going to be okay. But Paul gives us a little bit of clue about the peace of Christ. He says you've got to permit it to enter. When it comes to the peace of Christ, what the Spirit of God wants to do, give it permission to enter. But too often, we permit chaos to enter. We permit culture to enter. People's opinions to enter. And what the Colossians were dealing with, they were dealing with one side of, of life was there were Jews that were living there that were trying to give rules for people because if you follow these rules you're going to have peace and Paul's like listen what's going to bring peace is that the presence of rules it's the presence of Jesus and far too often is we let other things come in thinking that they're going to bring us peace. Pe Kevin started talking about this um, when he was transitioning us out of worship, that we permit other things, we allow other things, and yet we want God to come in and just have his rulership. But what we've got to do is this, is we've got, to, we've got to reject, stop letting other things in, and actually let the right thing in. I, re I remember getting this call from Anne. Because I'll, I'll give you a clue. If you just come up and knock on our door during the day, and I love my wife, she most likely won't answer the door. Because if she's home alone, it's just her and, and the cat. Moses is not a watchdog. He's, he's a lazy cat. Non-threatening whatsoever. And she's just not going to answer the door. She's like, hey, somebody walks up. And especially this past summer, some guy she sees walking up our driveway with a clipboard. She's like, I am not answering this whatsoever. And so she hears the doorbell. And he rings it a few times, and then he knocks, and then Moses runs up to the door. And he's staring at this guy, and, Mo and she can hear this guy whisper to Moses, I know they're home, go get your parents for me. Whew. How creepy is that? And Anne's listening, she goes, nope, 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 that's not going to happen. Now this is the thing. Just because something has shown up to your life doesn't mean it has permission or it ought to be let into your life. And far too often in culture, that whatever knocks at the door, we will open our lives up to it. Whatever comes into our life, we gladly welcome it. And what the scripture says is this. It's like, listen, part of allowing the peace of Christ into your life is saying yes to God, but it's also saying no to the other things that want to come in and take up residence. We've got to learn about godly peace. I say it quite often. Godly peace is not a state of our circumstances. It is a state of our being. 
Godly peace is not about the state of our circumstances because if you're waiting to let the things around you be to be at peace for you to feel peace, you will never feel peace. So many times we're waiting for things around us to settle down. And I have had people say, well, pastor, I'm, I, I'm looking for the peace. Where is the peace? Where is the things that are going, that, that, that are going on? When are they going to subside? Because where is God's peace and all of that? And that's the problem is we're so busy looking for things to settle down around us, for them to settle down within us. And that's not godly peace because in the world that I live in, things rarely settle down around me. And so, I mean, yes, there are moments that Jesus does settle some circumstances down. We see that with him and with the disciples when they're in a boat and a storm hits. And there are times that he stands up to the storm and says, peace, be still. But I wonder if in that moment, was he really speaking peace, be still to the storm or was he speaking peace, be still to their hearts? And Paul challenges us to let this in. And he gives us a clue in the scripture he says, listen, two things he wants to tell you about peace is number one, it comes from Jesus. He says, let the peace of who? Christ. Peace comes from Christ. I mean, we get this uh, this time of year as we read the scripture out of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where it says, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And so he tells you, number one, it's the peace of Christ that will rule your hearts. But secondly, there's a decision to pursue peace. It's letting it in. We as the, as the body of Christ here in America, I hate calling ourselves American Christians. In fact, I will rarely ever use that term. Why? Because I don't think any descriptor should ever come before the word Christian. Anytime we use a descriptor, we've already elevated something ahead of Jesus. So as Christians who are in America, I think we can be more apt to chase things that actually take our peace. We give it away and we welcome other things in. Ladies and gentlemen, people who live in America, people who operate in America, people who love Jesus, let me challenge you with this. You cannot feast on a fence and think you can produce peace. You cannot feast on offense. Some of us love looking for things to be offended for. Let me tell you, you don't ever have to look far. But you can't be somebody who pursues offense and think that you can be a vessel of godly peace. You're trading it away. Um, my uncle, my mom's youngest brother, he's three and a half years older than me. Jason and I grew up like brothers. He was my best man. I've, just, I've known him my whole life, spent most of my summers with him as a, as a kid. And I remember years ago, years ago, I was just a little guy. I remember having a quarter and Jason walking up to me saying, Dave, David, what do you have? I said, I've got a quarter. He goes, you've only got one coin? I've got five pennies. Five is more than one. I'm like, that's true. Would you want to trade it? Jesus goes, oh, okay. And I would make the trade. He was doing this for Lord knows how long. And one day, because we had a corner store, and this was the day where parents, we just, you sent kids to the corner store because it was okay. Looking back, I don't know what my parents were thinking, and, because this was literally downtown Detroit. What were they thinking? But it's just how we did life. My parents gave me a dollar, and Jason walks up. He goes, You've got a piece of paper? I've got two nickels and a quarter. That's three, and you've got three metal, one piece of paper. I'm like, oh, that's true. Do you want to trade? And Jason goes, of course I do. And Jason traded me, and then I went and bragged to my parents, you'll never guess what I did to Jason. 
And then my parents look down, and I hear, then they middle him, Jason Scott Price, get in here. And Jason walks in, and then they find out he's been doing this to me for Lord knows how long. Some of us are so quick to trade our peace away for cheaper prices. Some of us are willing to trade our peace away just to please people. Just to have validation of somebody. We will trade our peace so we can hold on to things. We will trade away our peace for cheap prices. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to have a decision that says that the peace of Christ in my life is not for sale. When people start prodding you, when people start getting after your heart, when people start posting things about you, saying things back to you, when people start trying to get on your nerves, when things are being said that you know people are trying to get underneath their skin, we can give in and permit that stuff to reside. Or we can say, no, my peace is not for sale. I allow, I permit the peace of Christ to reside here. And I won't let it be for sale. Stop trading it for nickels. And embrace what the Spirit of God wants to do through you. It leads me toward number two. So chapter uh, 3, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were indeed recalled in one body. And then we get this three-letter little statement. And be thankful. Be thankful. In fact, in this section, this is the first of three times you will see the word thankful. Three times in three verses. Be thankful. See, I believe that gratitude is more than just something that we should focus on once a year in November, but Thanksgiving is the habit of a radical believer. And why do we use the term radical believer? Because I think sometimes we get into a monotonous mode with serving Jesus that we just settle for, the, just, this is just where I'm at. I don't have to push myself. I've got my ticket punched to heaven. But I believe a radical believer lives a life of thankfulness. Because again, as Christians in an, Amer- in an American culture, I think oftentimes we can feed into what I believe is the enemy of gratitude. And it's something we call entitled. And we walk in entitlement And then we think that God owes us something or that the church owes us something. Believe me, I've had people say things to me that the pastor owes them something. But I'm here to say that God doesn't owe us a thing. There's nothing that God owes us, but he has given us everything in Christ Jesus. But yet we walk around, and I've heard TV preachers say things like, Hebrews says, go boldly into the throne room of God, and you can demand as a son or daughter of the Most High that God do things. Let me just say this. Let's get off of our high horses and recognize that Hebrews says we can go boldly not to demand. We go boldly to be humble before God. That we might find mercy. We go to God not demanding. We go to God bowing our lives saying, God, what would you do in me? And one of the best ways to cure entitlement is to be thankful. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul wrote to church in Thessalonica. It says, be thankful in all circumstances. If you've got a paper Bible, circle that. Give thanks in all circumstances. Well, Pastor Dave, my circumstances don't feel very thankful. But this is what I tell people all the time, that you can be thankful in all circumstances. It is possible. Pastor, prove it. I will. That regardless of what you're facing, know this. God is always in control. And if God is in control and you're still breathing, that tells me the best is still yet to come. 
And so therefore, I can look at situations that are out of my control and know that they're still in his control. That his ways are not my ways and his thoughts are not my thoughts. He doesn't always act when I want him to act. But I still trust him. And because I trust him, I know that I can walk in gratitude and thanksgiving knowing that, God, you're not done with this. You're not finished with me. That there's still more to come in Christ Jesus. Because God can still bring good out of evil. He can still turn around the stupid, the stupid mistakes that we make. And no matter what we do with our life, God is so great that nothing will ever separate us from his love. Gratitude is such a gift from God for us to embrace. that it. Let me tell you how good gratitude is. Gratitude creates fellowship. Have you ever realized that gratitude creates fellowship? What do I mean? Gratitude always builds deeper relationships between you and other people and between you and God. And if you want to get closer to somebody, start expressing gratitude. Ladies and gentlemen, now please nobody answer. Nobody answer. When was the last time you thanked your spouse? What do I have to thank them for? Oh, my Lord and Savior. <laughs> when, all right, I'll give you the line that Ann and I use We've used now for 24 years. Here's the line that we will say. Thank you for putting up with me. We say that all the time. Mostly for me. But we say, thank you. When was the last time you thanked your spouse? When was the last time you just thanked your spouse just for being them? For sticking things through? I see some people leaning over to their spouse right now. Awesome. Best timing. Why? Because it brings fellowship. It brings a deeper connection. Husbands and wives, I would challenge you this week, leading into Thanksgiving, Lord of mercy, leading into Christmas, I challenge you three times a day, find ways to thank your spouse. Well, pastor, but what, if, what, if, what if the love language is gifts? Is anybody married to somebody that is their top love language is gifts? That's, I'm one. Anybody? Emily, me, you, we are the only two. God help us two. Goodness, Nicole's over here. She's like, ugh, it's expensive and it's terrible. Oh, I'm not a gifts guy. And my wife's like, no, I'm not a gifts guy. But there's things that you do, not because they're you, but because they're right. And Thanksgiving, it, it gives us a deeper connection to people. Here's what I want you to do. Let's do a little exercise here. Pull out your phones. For those that have smartphones, those that have texting, would you right now, this moment, pause the soccer game you're watching during the service. Would you... Just pull out your texting app. The first person to come to mind other than your spouse, the first person to come to your mind, would you text them, my pastor is talking about people I'm thankful for and I thought of you today. Right now. I'm going to do it. Awkward silence. Some of you, you're squirming right now because it's so awkward. T take it out. Hey, bro, I'm preaching right now and I'm talking about thankfulness. And I thought of you, period. So thankful that you're glad that you're in my life. I'm going to have to fix that one. <laughs> and it says, I'll have to fix that one. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> so we're like, who did he send it to? They're not here. It's none of your business. But text them. If you don't have texting ability, write somebody when you go home. Write somebody, what year is this? <laughs> 
Write, write somebody a card. Call somebody on your way home from church. Pastor was talking about gratitude. It is amazing just words of gratitude, moments of gratitude, how it gives you a deeper intimacy and deeper connection to the people in your life. I mean, think about it. When we walk in that, it gives us a bond. And not only does that does it happen on the human level, but most importantly, it happens on this level. When we walk in gratitude toward God, it gives us this bond with God because when we are looking for things to be thankful for, we actually see what to be thankful for, and then we offer that under praise to God. And it gives us this deeper connection, this, this relationship that's there that is harder to break. That's what happens when we walk in gratitude. The more grateful, the more bond. The more bond, the more grateful. It is a cycle that continues to push and to move and to have its being in us. Walk in gratitude. Number three, verse number 16 says this. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I'm going to stop right there. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, if you're a note taker, uh, then you, you can write this down. This is the only time in the entirety of Scripture that we see the words, word of Christ. It is the only time in the New Testament that we see this. Now, I think that's important. Now, oftentimes I've, seen the, I've heard this preach, and it's talking about the Scriptures. And it's yes and no. It's more specifically talking about the word and the life of Jesus. The word of Christ is the words and the life of Jesus. And, the, and Paul says, let the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus, dwell in you richly. Now, that word richly comes from a Greek word, plasoes. Why is that so important that I say it? Because I've worked on pronouncing it for like 24 hours there. And now that word richly, I try to think of a way, a metaphor to help you understand this word. And I thought of just one word for you. I don't know if it's one or two words, but it's the words Powerball. I have people walk up, Pastor, is, is playing Powerball gambling? And so we have a conversation like, but what if I tithe off of it? I'm like, okay, then it's fine then. I'm, I'm just totally kidding. <laughs> but the idea is Powerball because in the Greek language, this word richly describes incredible abundance, extreme wealth, enormous influence, great prosperity, immense riches, magnificent opulence, uh, there's a lot of thesaurus using here, and extravagant lavishness. And so what Paul is saying is that if we will receive the words in the life of Jesus, it will produce an amount of, a great amount of spiritual wealth in your life. Now let me pause right here. Because I think some of you are hearing me in light of some televangelists. I've now brought them up tw two times today. When I say that you have, when, and you listen to the words in the life of Christ, when you dwell on that richly, that God will bless you with amazing spiritual wealth. What I am not saying is that if you dwell on the words of Jesus, he's going to fill your bank account. He's not going to give you a boat. And not that boats are bad, unless you don't invite me. God's going to give you uh, a certain type of car. God's going to give you two Teslas sitting in the driveway. I was trying to think of an expensive car at the moment, and I blanked out. I was going to say a Kia Soul, but that wasn't expensive. Paul says that if you dwell on the words of Christ, let it dwell in you. It will create this abundance. It will make you spiritually rich. What it does mean, it doesn't fill your bank account, but it does fill your spiritual account. It gives you something to dip into when things, when times are bad. That's what it's saying. Like with, with the great evangelist Dave Ramsey, whatever Dave does, Dave will talk about having, what is it, three months worth of savings in your, 
Is it in your account? Is that what he says? You can tell I read a lot of Dave Ramsey here. Um, Dave says, three months of covering all of your bills in case the worst were to happen, you have three months covered. What I love, when you dwell upon the words of Christ, the life of Christ, what it does, there is something put into your account so that when the storm shows up, when calamity shows up, when sickness shows up, when financial issues show up, when death even shows up, guess what? We're not caught off guard because we've got something deposited in our life that we can draw from. When you've been dwelling upon the words of Jesus, when the enemy starts whispering lies, immediately we draw from the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus said. This is the reason why so many people crumble is because they haven't dwelt on Jesus richly. You want abundance in your life? Dwell on Jesus. Climb into the Gospels. Get into the life of Christ. You want to know how to forgive people? Dwell on Jesus because when the most unforgivable thing happens to you, you get to draw out of that which has been deposited in you. You've hit the Powerball, spiritually. Man, have you ever been in a place where you were so depleted out here, but you were full in here? This is dwelling richly. And when you're full, Paul says, this is what happens to you. He says, you'll, be, you'll start teaching and admonishing one another. In all wisdom, you'll sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. It's like this, this is the product that something's going to start pouring out of your life that is going to be pointing toward the one that filled your life. People will see you depleted, but you'll still be singing. People will, see you, will hear you hurting, but you're going to be the one encouraging them. People will see you broken uh, on the outside, but on the inside, you're pouring into them when they came to pour into you. Why? Because there's been something so deposited in your spirit. It's come from Christ. And lastly, number four, I just wrote down the word do. Do what? Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, what's wild is this word do, the implications of this word actually travel all the way through the next chapter to verse six. What do we mean by do? I'm glad you asked me this question. Do means, number one, in your private life. In your private life. How do we know that? Because Paul writes this in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with a sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, do hard, work heartily. Ask for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, Treat your bond service fairly, justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Paul says that whatever you do, do unto the Lord. And now let me, Paul says, let me give you an example of how to do it in the private confines of your home. Because how many of you know serving Jesus doesn't stop at church? It goes into your home. And so he, he says, listen, husbands and wives, here's how you do it. It sounds a little bit like Ephesians, doesn't it? Sounds like the same guy who wrote Ephesians wrote this. It's like, listen, submit. The word submit just means yield. Husbands, love. How do we love? We know from Ephesians. Love like Jesus loved the church who gave his life. So some people are like, I don't like the whole submit part. I'm like, but men, men got to lay down everything. Everything. Lions games and everything. 
Trust me, I've been happy to do that a, a few times. But he says, lay down everything. He deals with parenting. He deals with bond servants. And here's a little, here's a little cool little nugget here. It's to bond servants, these people that have allowed themselves to be servants of masters, servants of homes. Now, when we talk about slavery in the New Testament, unless it was Roman slavery, it's not the slavery that we know about as one of the greatest atrocities of, of American history. It's a different thing. But with bond servants, bond servants were part of a family by virtue of being hired, and they didn't have any inheritance, but he tells them, listen, obey God, follow my way, and you're going to have an inheritance. Slaves, bond servants had none. Here, God says, you're going to have one. And then he deals with the people who have bond servants, masters. You treat them fairly, knowing that you may think you've got the power, but God has all the power over you. And so Paul says, whatever you do, privately, you do it all unto the Lord, and then he takes it to the next life. Not just your private life, but also your prayer life. It says in verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. That word steadfastly in the Greek language means to persevere and not faint. Be constant. It says being watchful with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open up a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account for which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul says, whatever you do, whatever you do privately, whatever you do uh, in your prayer life, do it unto the Lord, and then he gets into the last portion, your public life. Verse five and six. So walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech be, al be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now notice this. The scripture doesn't say, let your speech be full of salt. It says, may your speech be seasoned with salt. Whatever you do, do it all unto the Lord. Your private life, your prayer life, but when you go out in public, when people see you, you're not, to, not meant to be salty, but to be seasoned with salt. You see, when you, when you get out a good steak or a good piece of chicken, or a good piece of fish, or a good piece of liver. Thought I'd throw it out there. We take a little bit of salt and we, we sprinkle according to taste in order to bring the flavor out. But quite often Paul's like, whatever you do, make sure that what you're not doing is so heaped on that you actually change what you're trying, what actually is trying to be tasted and digested. In the Greek, um, in Greek literature, that word salt is a metaphor for wit, pleasantry, and kindness. And our conversation is meant to be seasoned like our food to make it wholesome and palatable. Whatever you do, Paul says, privately, in your prayer life, and even publicly, your lives were meant to be wholesome and palatable so that what the scripture would say, that people can taste and see that the Lord is My youth pastor used to say this for years, for years. He would say, you may be the only Bible that people will ever read. You may be the only Jesus that they will ever see. And that should throw us into a place of humility that says, what is the image that I give? 
when people read my social media, when they see me in line, when they watch me in traffic, if they were to walk inside my home, what does my spouse see? What does my kids see? What does my world see? Do they see the view of Jesus? Or do they see my image that I want him to be? I wrap up with this. If I can have my keyboard player join me. I just want to simply say extraordinary things can happen when we activate obedience to God in the ordinary, everyday moments. Ordinary is just that. And it becomes extraordinary when we start activating through obedience God's life, God's deposit in us. The Spirit came in not to make us bedazzled in church, but to make our lives extraordinary for him. And it happens when we activate it through obedience. And so, honestly, a a message like this, it's not about standing and coming forward and getting alone with God because the message of today, the altar for today, is not for you to come forward. Honestly, it's for you to go. And whatever you do, that number one, that we would let, allow the peace of Christ to guide us. In other words, Don't go in a direction for which the peace of God doesn't exist. Secondly, that you would be thankful. Some of y'all need to learn thankfulness before God, and you need to learn thankfulness to one another. Find someone to be thankful for. Find time today to get along with God. What I put on our YouVersion notes is a a song from Upper Room that just simply is called, This is How I Thank the Lord. If you need a good song this week, bring up our YouVersion notes. I put a YouTube on there. It is a great song to listen. And I don't know how you could listen to that song and not just be so full of humility and just thankfulness toward God. How do we activate? We let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Some of, some of us here, we need to reopen the Gospels and read the life of Jesus and begin to let his words and his life dwell in us to create an abundance and account to start pouring out of. And then what's the last part? It's to do. God, that you would do something through us so much that it affects our private lives, that it affects our prayer life, and that you would take me into the public highways and byways of life that the ordinary could become extraordinary, not to bring any glory to this individual, but to bring glory to the Son of God. Today's the invitation, the RSVP to action. And action, yeah, action's great up here, but honestly, this is the easy spot to do things. It's wherever God takes us past those doors. It's where God takes you into the workplace, into our marketplaces, into your home places. And it's learning to do that which he's called us to do. So this morning, I just want to pray over you and bring this message to a close. And we'll wrap up, we'll wrap up the whole cha- the last chapter, the last, uh, the last portion of chapter four on Sunday morning online as we talk about the invitation to the church family. But for us, God has not brought you this far just to bring you this far. He's got something in store for your life, for your heart, for your workplace for the workout place, for wherever he takes you, that the glory of God would shine because you chose to activate what he's doing inside your life. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help convict our hearts to learn how to activate the work that you're doing inside of us. You have put a deposit. Your scripture says you have given us the spirit as a deposit. You've deposited richness in us. 
And it's not for us to sit in the comfort of just everyday life. You've put something in us to be a city set on a hill, a lamp on a lampstand, to be a life that shines with the glory and the light of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray, do a work in our lives. Do a work in our hearts. So much, Lord, that when people see us, they would see you. And if there are things in our lives, Lord, that are just removing our peace, that are distracting us, Lord, I pray that we would just, through the power of the Spirit of God, that we would learn how to say no to that which is not of God and learn to say yes. Jesus, I permit you to come in to do a work, to do miracles for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we thank the Lord for just the word of the Lord this morning?